Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. I'm Pastor Art Georges, and I'm here with Pastors Rich Burkle and Pastor Daniel Bennett. And in this installment of Revive the Drive, we want to talk about the topic of atonement. We're fresh off of our celebration of Easter in each of our churches, and Christ's atoning work is front and center in our celebration of Easter. But what does that word mean? Atonement uh, is not a word that we use often, and it's not even a word that really appears in the New Testament text, but it is uh, it is throughout the Old Testament, and it gets picked up in the New Testament. It pictured what Christ would do. In fact, one has defined atonement as this, the atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. Uh, sometimes, uh, and I've heard this, guys, I'm not sure if it's an urban legend or not, but I've heard that the word atonement in English was meant to convey at one or reconciliation, and it described what Christ had done through his saving work to bring God's people into a reconciled relationship with himself. Yeah, I don't think that's an urban legend at all. I think that's at the time that King James was, was uh, written that that word atone was was kind of passing into that that usage and and uh, carried with it the idea of of uh, yeah of, of a restored relationship to do, doing something in order to restore a relationship uh, and so that's why even though you don't see the word atonement in the New Testament you do see that idea of reconciliation carrying it with with it, the idea of the Old Testament sacrifice the atoning sacrifice reconciling a person to God in the New Testament that's recon. Jesus Christ's sacrifice, reconciling us to God is the idea of, of the atonement. Good, good. Because it doesn't appear in the New Testament, the word itself, it's good to go back to the Old Testament and see yeah. a beautiful picture of what would happen through Christ's atoning work, the annual day of atonement. Uh, the high priest would first cleanse himself by a sacrifice, and then the congregation would present to him two male goats and lots would be cast over these two goats, and one would be chosen by lot to be sacrificed. It's bloodshed for the sins of the nation of Israel, the sins of the people. Uh, the The blood of that sacrifice would be sprinkled over the mercy seat uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the law or the commandments of God, which had been violated by the sins of the people. But the other goat, uh, it's the lot that was cast for it, would entail that it would be sent into the wilderness after the high priest laid its laid his hands upon that goat and confessed the sins of the Israelites on that on transferring their sins onto that goat and then it was sent into the wilderness, hopefully never to return. Mm-hmm. And so, what is the picture uh, that Christ accomplished in, in the scapegoat? Well, and, and both uh, sacrifices have a picture for us, don't they? One is a covering. That uh, as uh, on in the, that ark of the covenant, the the law of God uh, was was placed inside the ark, and as God is looking down upon man, and he sees the the law of God being broken by man. There there now is a covering with the blood mm. that uh, now God sees the law through the blood 
um, so that uh, there can be a reconciliation because there is cleansing then that takes place. The people buy the sacrifice. The penalty is being paid. So the law that's broken, the justice that's required by the law is now fulfilled or accomplished. Um, And then in the scapegoat, you see these sins being borne away uh, from the community and from the presence of the community and, and God so that the people can be uh, uh, reconciled with God uh, together. And, and uh, yeah, the, the assumption is, is that the scapegoat is going to die in the wilderness as well. It's going to suffer underneath uh, the, the penalty, so to speak, uh, for us of, of um, having sin that separates us from God. Mm-hmm. Which, which gets really into the, the uh, several aspects of the atonement, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we've talked a little bit about what that word itself means, uh, reconciliation. It's, it's kind of the, the broad idea there, but the more theologically accurate idea is that Christ's work restores us to relationship with God. And as we look at human relationships, I think there are a, there's a good picture of the need for reconciliation, the need for there to be a shalom, peace between different parties. If you look at, uh, you turn on your radio and you just start listening to to songs. I, I have a friend who listens to secular uh, secular music, and he told me that sometimes there's some songs uh, on the radio that deal with broken relationships, and you, you just kind of listen to the lyrics, and, and there's there's heartache and there's longing for restoration of relationship, and uh, there's even a Jars of Clay song that I was listening to the other day, uh, Mirrors and Smoke, where uh, the kind of a, a, a guy and a girl are singing back and forth about this this relationship problem that they're having, and they don't love one another the way they ought. And he says, uh, "I want to lay my life down," and she responds, "But I know you never will." Hmm. So there's there's this hmm. lack of shalom, this lack of peace, this lack of reconciliation in our human relationships. And as we as we think about that broken human relationship, it points us to the broken relationship between us and God that renders the atonement necessary. There needs to be something that reconciles us to God. And because of who we are, uh, we can't reconcile ourselves to God on our own. First Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered the, the righteous for the unrighteous. Mm. And uh, you guys are the unrighteous in that verse, and, and so am I. Good, good. <laughs> so atonement uh, includes reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse uh, 17 or 18 uh, says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So atonement includes reconciliation, but it, it, there's more there too, right? What else? What about uh, propitiation? How does Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross accomplish propitiation? Maybe define that word and then talk yeah, about it. Uh, the word propitiation implies that God is angry. Uh, with uh, sin and sinners, right, and uh, that there is a uh, a problem in paradise, you know, and that's uh, Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, and and um, uh, sin passing upon every person, and being born into a state of enmity with God, and that that's something that's difficult as we consider this subject of atonement because. Uh, most of us aren't born with a sense of enmity. In other words, we say, I'm, I'm fine with God. Why do I need to be reconciled to God? I'm, I'm fine with him. Um, 
But the scripture clearly reveals a God who is not fine with us in our natural state right. and, um, and that something needs to take place. And, and thankfully, it also describes a God who loves us even though he is uh, justly angry with us <laughs> for right. our rebellion. And yet he loves us, and so he pursues us by opening up uh, a provision uh, of atonement, of reconciliation for us so that we can have a right relationship with God. And so propitiation is God's means by which his just wrath against sin is satisfied, completely satisfied, and it's satisfied, of course, in Christ. He is our propitiation. He is our atonement. He's the righteous. He is the righteous. Because apart from him being righteous, it wouldn't be a satisfaction. It wouldn't be a propitiation. It wouldn't satisfy God's right. demands. Right. This right. is not God asking for us to to make a sacrifice that that uh, uh, causes him to be satisfied with us. It is God making a sacrifice mm, that good. allows his justice to be satisfied in himself. Yeah. John says to us in 1 John chapter 2, uh, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And and just so our listeners uh, understand that uh, the wrath of God is something that uh, pastors don't just make up. It comes to us from the Word of God. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 talks about those who have been born again of the Spirit are to consider their members of their earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So Christ has become our propitiation, according to 1 John 2. 2. But again, there's more. Um, having, having reconciled us uh, because of his sacrifice, which uh, relieved the wrath of God, paid the just penalty for it, uh, Scripture says that Christ has redeemed us. Uh, he has redeemed us. Uh, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us by his sacrifice. So by his sacrifice, Christ liberates uh, uh, believers from sin, from guilt, from the penalty of death. It's interesting now uh, that First John two two uh, uses the term the righteous or uses the term righteous to describe Jesus. It's, it's a title I think the early church used for Jesus. You see it in the book of Acts. Peter calls him the holy and righteous one. Paul calls him the righteous one. Stephen refers to him as the the, the coming of the refers to the coming of the righteous one. Uh, the the passage I quoted earlier in First Peter three eighteen refers to the righteous for the unrighteous. That's that's why Jesus is able to be that that propitiation that satisfaction. Well, and, and theologians, and, and I think Scripture also describes this atonement not only in the death of Christ, but in the life of Christ, that, that he lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the law's demands for us, so that when we are joined to him in union with him, that his record of righteousness becomes our record of righteousness. And then his death provides uh, us with a solution to our record of sin and wickedness and rebellion. Um, so it's both the uh, it's called the active obedience of Jesus in fulfilling uh, the righteousness of God by obeying God completely, as well as uh, the uh, passive obedience of Christ in taking upon Himself the sins of uh, of us as as we look to Him uh, for our atonement, for our sacrifice for sin. Mm. I like the phrase, Rich. Uh, theologians say, and Scripture agrees. 
And <laughs> that's a great phrase because sometimes you could just say theologians say, although scripture would disagree. Right. And that's actually a very true statement when it comes to the atonement because there's a lot of theological speculation about the atonement that isn't necessarily biblical. Uh, I think, for example, some people describe the atonement as just, well, or describe the atonement just as Jesus setting a good example for us or. Uh, he's just doing some nice things, and it teaches us how we should be nice and sacrifice for other people too. the The atonement, though, uh, is more than just Jesus showing us a nice way to live. Uh, it was something that was necessary, which is also something that that theologians might deny sometimes. Oh, you know that that was it's one way to get to God. But l- let's talk a little bit about the, the necessity of the atonement. Mm-hmm. Well, first, too, I, I would say the atonement. It was not necessary in one sense that oh, uh, sure. that God didn't have to save anyone. Sure. That God would have been a completely perfect God, um, loving and just, <laughs> had He chosen not to redeem us. And that's why we sing "Amazing Grace." Mm-hmm. You know how mm-hmm. sweet the sound that yeah. would save a wretch like me. That it's it's God's grace that is not merited. That God did not have to in order to be consistent with His perfection. Uh, uh, provide for us uh, a means of atonement, and yet he did. Now, once he decided uh, in his sovereign, uh, gracious will to re- redeem or rescue people from the state of of uh, being under his wrath, under his just the just penalty of the law, then the atonement becomes necessary. Um, and and you know when we look at the cross of Jesus, um, it's right for us to see look at Jesus' cross and see that as a symbol of amazing love. Mm. That God is a God of love; that He would so love us that He would send His Son Jesus mm. to die for mm-hmm. us. But I think also we have to look at the cross and see it as a tremendous symbol of God's justice. Yes. Uh, that's what Romans three uh, talks about. It says that 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 He did this; He sent Jesus. Uh, or Jesus died on the cross to to demonstrate His justice, mm. and so the cross. We look at the cross. We see how how seriously does God take our sin? Um, how grieved is He over it? How moved is He by it? Well, the cross of Jesus shows us that He is deeply grieved, and uh, uh, we would say angry. Scripture would say angry with 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 sin mm. to such an extent that it required Jesus, His own Son, to die. Right, that's good. You know, and, and Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that, uh, as you said, of his, his love, as of God's love, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with, with which he loved us. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing God we serve. Now, Art, when, when people talk about the substitutionary atonement, oftentimes those words go uh, uh, hand in hand. What, what, do the, what do people mean or what does Scripture uh, describe when we think of the substitutionary atonement? Is that uh, very important. It's very important. It, it it reminds us of what Scripture says that Christ stood in our place. He took our place. He was crucified, and He died where we deserve to die. Uh, scripture says that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so it paints for us a picture of substitution that Christ. Uh, was taking upon himself the wrath that was due us, uh, and and as a result of our faith, uh, we received the righteousness that Christ earned, as you said, through his active and passive obedience, uh, as Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so Jesus Christ 
perfect, lived perfectly, fulfilled the law perfectly, and then gives us his perfect record through our faith in him. And we have to observe that this is not a truth that is very popular, uh, hasn't been throughout the ages, and still today is not. Uh, it's sad to me that it seems to be under strong attack within the what we call the evangelical church, that many churches, uh, pastors are moving away from this idea of substitutionary atonement, which is the very center mm. of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and they do it often subtly, but um, some indications, I guess, I look for when I when I ask whether a church is preaching substitutionary atonement is not just those words, but asking, are they are they talking about the concepts of the wrath of God, mm-hmm. uh, the, the penalty of God, and, and how Jesus bore that penalty, explaining the meaning of the cross as opposed to just saying the cross of Jesus? Um, and are, are there any other means by which you might uh, uh, measure whether or not a ministry is healthy in this regard? Well, I, th- I think if a person is is accurately preaching the atonement, a person's going, to, a church is going to have to also address the reality of sin. And so, if, if a church isn't willing to talk about the reality of sin in our in our own lives, then they're they're lacking. If they're not willing to talk about the necessity of the cross in order to de- deal with sin, then then they're lacking as well. They're not accurately representing the the message of the atonement. And probably the the whole conversation of Christ's sacrifice being complete. Uh, if it was truly substitutionary, then uh, his work is enough. He cried out, it is finished, and uh, could have been translated paid in full. And Jesus Christ, Excellent. where it's preached correctly, is uh, cast as the one who has paid the full price for our uh, entrance into heaven. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So our access to God is not by asking the question, what would Jesus do in trying to do that, follow his example. That's a noble thing to do, but that's not our means of access. Our our access to God is by asking the question, what did Jesus do? That's good. Uh, what did he accomplish on our behalf? And then believing in that and allowing God's uh, spirit to, to change us. That's good. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this uh, edition of Revive the Drive, and we hope that it's blessed your heart and fed your mind. <laughs>